Section 18 of The Common Reader. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bruce Peary. The Common Reader by Virginia Woolf. George Eliot. To read George Eliot attentively is to become aware how little one knows about her it is also to become aware of the credulity not very creditable to one's insight with which half consciously and partly maliciously one had accepted the late victorian version of a deluded woman who held phantom sway over subjects even more deluded than herself at what moment and by what means her spell was broken it is difficult to ascertain some people attribute it to the publication of her life perhaps george meredith with his phrase about the mercurial little showman and the errant woman on the dais gave point and poison to the arrows of thousands incapable of aiming them so accurately but delighted to let fly she became one of the butts for youth to laugh at the convenient symbol of a group of serious people who were all guilty of the same idolatry and could be dismissed with the same scorn lord acton had said that she was greater than dante herbert spencer exempted her novels as if they were not novels when he banned all fiction from the london library she was the pride and paragon of her sex moreover her private record was not more alluring than her public asked to describe an afternoon at the priory the story-teller always intimated that the memory of those serious sunday afternoons had come to tickle his sense of humour he had been so much alarmed by the grave lady in her low chair he had been so anxious to say the intelligent thing certainly the talk had been very serious as a note in the fine clear hand of the great novelist bore witness it was dated on the monday morning and she accused herself of having spoken without due forethought of marivaux when she meant another but no doubt she said her listener had already supplied the correction still the memory of talking about marivaux to george eliot on a sunday afternoon was not a romantic memory it had faded with the passage of the years it had not become picturesque indeed one cannot escape the conviction that the long heavy face with its expression of serious and sullen and almost equine power has stamped itself depressingly upon the minds of people who remember george eliot so that it looks out upon them from her pages mr gosse has lately described her as he saw her driving through london in a victoria a large thick-set sibyl dreamy and immobile whose massive features somewhat grim when seen in profile were incongruously bordered by a hat always in the height of paris fashion which in those days commonly included an immense ostrich feather lady ritchie with equal skill has left a more intimate indoor portrait 
she sat by the fire in a beautiful black satin gown with a green shaded lamp on the table beside her where i saw german books lying and pamphlets and ivory paper cutters she was very quiet and noble with two steady little eyes and a sweet voice as i looked i felt her to be a friend not exactly a personal friend but a good and benevolent impulse a scrap of her talk is preserved we ought to respect our influence she said we know by our own experience how very much others affect our lives and we must remember that we in turn must have the same effect upon others jealously treasured committed to memory one can imagine recalling the scene repeating the words thirty years later and suddenly for the first time bursting into laughter in all these records one feels that the recorder even when he was in the actual presence kept his distance and kept his head and never read the novels in later years with the light of a vivid or puzzling or beautiful personality dazzling in his eyes in fiction where so much of personality is revealed the absence of charm is a great lack and her critics who have been of course mostly of the opposite sex have resented half consciously perhaps her deficiency in a quality which is held to be supremely desirable in women george eliot was not charming she was not strongly feminine she had none of those eccentricities and inequalities of temper which give to so many artists the endearing simplicity of children one feels that to most people as to lady ritchie she was not exactly a personal friend but a good and benevolent impulse but if we consider these portraits more closely we shall find that they are all portraits of an elderly celebrated woman dressed in black satin driving in her victoria a woman who has been through her struggle and issued from it with a profound desire to be of use to others but with no wish for intimacy save with the little circle who had known her in the days of her youth we know very little about the days of her youth but we do know that the culture the philosophy the fame and the influence were all built upon a very humble foundation she was the granddaughter of a carpenter the first volume of her life is a singularly depressing record in it we see her raising herself with groans and struggles from the intolerable boredom of petty provincial society her father had risen in the world and become more middle-class but less picturesque to be the assistant editor of a highly intellectual london review and the esteemed companion of herbert spencer the stages are painful as she reveals them in the sad soliloquy in which mr cross condemned her to tell the story of her life marked in early youth as one sure to get something up very soon in the way of a clothing club she proceeded to raise funds for restoring a church by making a chart of ecclesiastical history and that was followed by a loss of faith which so disturbed her father that he refused to live with her 
next came the struggle with the translation of strauss which dismal and soul-stupefying in itself can scarcely have been made less so by the usual feminine tasks of ordering a household and nursing a dying father and the distressing conviction to one so dependent upon affection that by becoming a blue-stocking she was forfeiting her brother's respect i used to go about like an owl she said to the great disgust of my brother poor thing wrote a friend who saw her toiling through strauss with a statue of the risen christ in front of her i do pity her sometimes with her pale sickly face and dreadful headaches and anxiety too about her father yet though we cannot read the story without a strong desire that the stages of her pilgrimage might have been made if not more easy at least more beautiful there is a dogged determination in her advance upon the citadel of culture which raises it above our pity her development was very slow and very awkward but it had the irresistible impetus behind it of a deep-seated and noble ambition every obstacle at length was thrust from her path she knew every one she read everything her astonishing intellectual vitality had triumphed youth was over but youth had been full of suffering then at the age of thirty-five at the height of her powers and in the fullness of her freedom she made the decision which was of such profound moment to her and still matters even to us and went to weimar alone with george henry lewis the books which followed so soon after her union testify in the fullest manner to the great liberation which had come to her with personal happiness in themselves they provide us with a plentiful feast yet at the threshold of her literary career one may find in some of the circumstances of her life influences that turned her mind to the past to the country village to the quiet and beauty and simplicity of childish memories and away from herself and the present we understand how it was that her first book was scenes of clerical life and not middlemarch her union with lewis had surrounded her with affection but in view of the circumstances and of the conventions it had also isolated her i wish it to be understood she wrote in eighteen fifty seven that i should never invite any one to come and see me who did not ask for the invitation she had been cut off from what is called the world she said later but she did not regret it by becoming thus marked first by circumstances and later inevitably by her fame she lost the power to move on equal terms unnoted among her kind and the loss for a novelist was serious still basking in the light and sunshine of scenes of clerical life feeling the large mature mind spreading itself with a luxurious sense of freedom in the world of her remotest past to speak of loss seems inappropriate everything to such a mind was gain all experience filtered down through layer after layer of perception and reflection enriching and nourishing 
the utmost we can say in qualifying her attitude towards fiction by what little we know of her life is that she had taken to heart certain lessons not usually learnt early if learnt at all among which perhaps the most branded upon her was the melancholy virtue of tolerance her sympathies are with the everyday lot and play most happily in dwelling upon the homespun of ordinary joys and sorrows she has none of that romantic intensity which is connected with a sense of one's own individuality unsated and unsubdued cutting its shape sharply upon the background of the world what were the loves and sorrows of a snuffy old clergyman dreaming over his whisky to the fiery egotism of jane eyre the beauty of those first books scenes of clerical life adam bede the mill on the floss is very great it is impossible to estimate the merit of the poisers the dodsons the gilfils the bartons and the rest with all their surroundings and dependencies because they have put on flesh and blood and we move among them now bored now sympathetic but always with that unquestioning acceptance of all that they say and do which we accord to the great originals only the flood of memory and humour which she pours so spontaneously into one figure one scene after another until the whole fabric of ancient rural england is revived has so much in common with a natural process that it leaves us with little consciousness that there is anything to criticize we accept we feel the delicious warmth and release of spirit which the great creative writers alone procure for us as one comes back to the books after years of absence they pour out even against our expectation the same store of energy and heat so that we want more than anything to idle in the warmth as in the sun beating down from the red orchard wall if there is an element of unthinking abandonment in thus submitting to the humours of midland farmers and their wives that too is right in the circumstances we scarcely wish to analyse what we feel to be so large and deeply human and when we consider how distant in time the world of shepperton and hayslope is and how remote the minds of farmer and agricultural labourers from those of most of george eliot's readers we can only attribute the ease and pleasure with which we ramble from house to smithy from cottage parlour to rectory garden to the fact that george eliot makes us share their lives not in a spirit of condescension or of curiosity but in a spirit of sympathy she is no satirist the movement of her mind was too slow and cumbersome to lend itself to comedy but she gathers in her large grasp a great bunch of the main elements of human nature and groups them loosely together with a tolerant and wholesome understanding which as one finds upon re-reading has not only kept her figures fresh and free but has given them an unexpected hold upon our laughter and tears there is the famous mrs poyser 
it would have been easy to work her idiosyncrasies to death and as it is perhaps george eliot gets her laugh in the same place a little too often but memory after the book is shut brings out as sometimes in real life the details and subtleties which some more salient characteristic has prevented us from noticing at the time we recollect that her health was not good there were occasions upon which she said nothing at all she was patience itself with a sick child she doted upon totty thus one can muse and speculate about the greater number of george eliot's characters and find even in the least important a roominess and margin where those qualities lurk which she has no call to bring from their obscurity but in the midst of all this tolerance and sympathy there are even in the early books moments of greater stress her humour has shown itself broad enough to cover a wide range of fools and failures mothers and children dogs and flourishing midland fields farmers sagacious or fuddled over their ale horse-dealers innkeepers curates and carpenters over them all broods a certain romance the only romance that george eliot allowed herself the romance of the past the books are astonishingly readable and have no trace of pomposity or pretense but to the reader who holds a large stretch of her early work in view it will become obvious that the mist of recollection gradually withdraws it is not that her power diminishes for to our thinking it is at its highest in the mature middlemarch the magnificent book which with all its imperfections is one of the few english novels written for grown-up people but the world of fields and farms no longer contents her in real life she had sought her fortunes elsewhere and though to look back into the past was calming and consoling there are even in the early works traces of that troubled spirit that exacting and questioning and baffled presence who was george eliot herself in adam bede there is a hint of her in dinah she shows herself far more openly and completely in maggie in the mill on the floss she is janet in janet's repentance and romola and dorothea seeking wisdom and finding one scarcely knows what in marriage with ladislaw those who fall foul of george eliot do so we incline to think on account of her heroines and with good reason for there is no doubt that they bring out the worst of her lead her into difficult places make her self-conscious didactic and occasionally vulgar yet if you could delete the whole sisterhood you would leave a much smaller and a much inferior world albeit a world of greater artistic perfection and far superior jollity and comfort in accounting for her failure in so far as it was a failure one recollects that she never wrote a story until she was thirty-seven and that by the time she was thirty-seven she had come to think of herself with a mixture of pain and something like resentment for long she preferred not to think of herself at all 
then when the first flush of creative energy was exhausted and self-confidence had come to her she wrote more and more from the personal standpoint but she did so without the unhesitating abandonment of the young her self-consciousness is always marked when her heroines say what she herself would have said she disguised them in every possible way she granted them beauty and wealth into the bargain she invented more improbably a taste for brandy but the disconcerting and stimulating fact remained that she was compelled by the very power of her genius to step forth in person upon the quiet bucolic scene the noble and beautiful girl who insisted upon being born into the mill on the floss is the most obvious example of the ruin which a heroine can strew about her humor controls her and keeps her lovable so long as she is small and can be satisfied by eloping with the gypsies or hammering nails into her doll but she develops and before george eliot knows what has happened she has a full-grown woman on her hands demanding what neither gypsies nor dolls nor st ogg's itself is capable of giving her first philip wakem is produced and later stephen guest the weakness of the one and the coarseness of the other have often been pointed out but both in their weakness and coarseness illustrate not so much george eliot's inability to draw the portrait of a man as the uncertainty the infirmity and the fumbling which shook her hand when she had to conceive a fit mate for a heroine she is in the first place driven beyond the home world she knew and loved and forced to set foot in middle-class drawing-rooms where young men sing all the summer morning and young women sit embroidering smoking-caps for bazaars she feels herself out of her element as her clumsy satire of what she calls good society proves good society has its claret and its velvet carpets its dinner engagements six weeks deep its opera and its fairy ballrooms gets its science done by faraday and its religion by the superior clergy who are to be met in the best houses how should it have need of belief and emphasis there's no trace of humor or insight there but only the vindictiveness of a grudge which we feel to be personal in its origin but terrible as the complexity of our social system is in its demands upon the sympathy and discernment of a novelist straying across the boundaries maggie tulliver did worse than drag george eliot from her natural surroundings she insisted upon the introduction of the great emotional scene she must love she must despair she must be drowned clasping her brother in her arms the more one examines the great emotional scenes the more nervously one anticipates the brewing and gathering and thickening of the cloud which will burst upon our heads at the moment of crisis in a shower of disillusionment and verbosity it is partly that her hold upon dialogue when it is not dialect is slack 
and partly that she seems to shrink with an elderly dread of fatigue from the effort of emotional concentration she allows her heroines to talk too much she has little verbal felicity she lacks the unerring taste which chooses one sentence and compresses the heart of the scene within that whom are you going to dance with asked mr knightley at the weston's ball with you if you will ask me said emma and she has said enough mrs Gassaubin would have talked for an hour and we should have looked out of the window yet dismiss the heroines without sympathy confine george eliot to the agricultural world of her remotest past and you not only diminish her greatness but lose her true flavour that greatness is here we can have no doubt the width of the prospect the large strong outlines of the principal features the ruddy light of the early books the searching power and reflective richness of the later tempt us to linger and expatiate beyond our limits but it is upon the heroines that we would cast a final glance i have always been finding out my religion since i was a little girl says dorothea Kasabin. i used to pray so much now i hardly ever pray i try not to have desires merely for myself she is speaking for them all that is their problem they cannot live without religion and they start out on the search for one when they are little girls each has the deep feminine passion for goodness which makes the place where she stands in aspiration and agony the heart of the book still and cloistered like a place of worship but that she no longer knows to whom to pray in learning they seek their goal in the ordinary tasks of womanhood in the wider surface of their kind they do not find what they seek and we cannot wonder the ancient consciousness of woman charged with suffering and sensibility and for so many ages dumb seems in them to have brimmed and overflowed and uttered a demand for something they scarcely know what for something that is perhaps incompatible with the facts of human existence george eliot had far too strong an intelligence to tamper with those facts and too broad a humour to mitigate the truth because it was a stern one save for the supreme courage of their endeavour the struggle ends for her heroines in tragedy or in a compromise that is even more melancholy but their story is the incomplete version of the story of george eliot herself for her too the burden and the complexity of womanhood were not enough she must reach beyond the sanctuary and pluck for herself the strange bright fruits of art and knowledge clasping them as few women have ever clasped them she would not renounce her own inheritance the difference of view the difference of standard nor accept an inappropriate reward thus we behold her a memorable figure inordinately praised and shrinking from her fame 
despondent reserved shuddering back into the arms of love as if there alone were satisfaction and it might be justification at the same time reaching out with a fastidious yet hungry ambition for all that life could offer the free and inquiring mind and confronting her feminine aspirations with the real world of men triumphant was the issue for her whatever it may have been for her creations and as we recollect all that she dared and achieved how with every obstacle against her sex and health and convention she sought more knowledge and more freedom till the body weighted with its double burden sank worn out we must lay upon her grave whatever we have it in our power to bestow of laurel and rose end of section eighteen